Hey, good morning. I am Steve Treichler. I am uh, the OG of Hope Community Church, I guess, the original godfather or whatever. Uh, I helped start the church. I was the founding pastor in 1996, and uh, and I still serve uh, at, at Hope Community Church. Most of the time, I'm downtown, but but it has really been a privilege to be here a couple times this summer, and so thanks for having me, and, and uh, great, great to do that. 35 years ago today, at 3 o'clock, in a very, on a very, very hot day in South Bend, Indiana, this happened right there. So uh, thank you. One of us deserves a medal. I'm not saying which one. <clears throat> but you probably know which one. Uh, but yeah, 35 years ago, Carol and I uh, got married today, and uh, it's, a, it's been a ride, obviously. In 35 years of marriage, you could, there's a lot you could say, and that's not what this message is going to be about, but, but you could say a lot of different things. But somewhere in there, I, I heard this concept somewhere, so I didn't come up with it, but somewhere in there, uh, I was told that if you, you need to celebrate your spouse and not try to understand them, Right? Stop that. If you're doing that, uh, stop that. You need to celebrate them and appreciate them and even some of the quirks and idiosyncrasies they might have. And uh, somewhere in there, I came up with the phrase or heard it or I don't know how it happened that she's my standard of beauty or my SOB is what I like to say. You're my SOB is what I tell Tell Carol, and she still is to this day. So uh, really do appreciate we had a chance to go to a Steve Miller band. <laughs> Anybody know who Steve Miller is in this? Yeah, Fly Like an Eagle? All right, so uh, we went and saw this 79-year-old guy rocking it out, and there are a lot of geriatric shows out there. Let me tell you right now, waste of time. Steve Miller, not. I've seen him twice. Great, great thing. But anyway, we got a chance to go see Steve Miller last weekend. It was beautiful. And she has been uh, standard of my beauty, or I call her the delight of my eyes for, for these years, and so very grateful for that. Uh, We are, this summer at all the locations, we're doing a series on the stories of Jesus. In other words, Jesus tells stories, and these stories, sometimes they're in parable form, uh, they're not always in parable form, today will be. He's going to tell a story, and they have a point, and he's trying to, he's trying to illustrate something, he's trying to show us kind of uh, something that he's trying to teach. Oftentimes, he's teaching about this thing called the kingdom of God. Now, that phrase is not going to be used today, but it was used in several of the other accounts that we've seen. And so let me quote from a guy that I know about what is this kingdom of God. All right, here's this guy that I know. Uh, The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God through the glad submission of the human heart to Jesus Christ. In other words, that what the kingdom of God ultimately is on the earth and uh, in the heavenlies is this, this place in space and, and reign, so to speak, not like a geographical reign or a kingdom like on the earth or a nation, but it's a, a place and a space where a people, glad submission, not forced, not a forced rule, people gladly submit to, to Christ and follow him. That's the kingdom of God. Now, when Jesus arrives on the earth, he uses this phrase uh, several times, and a few weeks back, uh, you talked about the kingdom of God is in your midst, right? And so there's a sense when he came to earth, something kind of happened where this kingdom is already here. The kingdom of God is here, and it's right now. But then there's a lot of times where Jesus will talk about that day will come, or there's another aspect to it where it has a not yet component to it, right? So 
The kingdom has this idea that there's something happening right now that's new and different as Jesus comes on the scene, his, his, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. But there's another part of it at his return when he comes back that will usher in this, this new kingdom and it's, it'll, be, it'll be complete then. So we have it already, but not yet. That's important because today we're gonna look at a parable that's really talking about what does, what does it look like or one of, what's one of the features of living as we live right now in the already, but we're, we're in the not yet. There's certain things that aren't yet satisfied. And so what does it look like in this time? So this parable is Luke chapter 18, one to eight. And I know you don't do it here, but I like to do it. If you don't mind, if you're able, would you mind standing and reading it with me? And we'll read it together and we'll... Uh, Pause for every punctuation mark that there is. Luke 18, 1 to 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Okay, you can be seated. Nice job. And so, like we said, we're looking at this issue of prayer in the not yet. That's where we are at right now. What, is that, what does that even look like? And the reason why I say that is this is one of the odd-numbered parables in the Bible because he gives you the answer right in the beginning. Right? It tells you, I'm telling you this, and I'm going to tell you why. Okay? So whatever this parable is saying, and it's saying quite a few things. We're going to, as we dig through it, you'll see. But it's definitely talking about prayer, right? He's saying, he told, him a par- he told his disciples, so he's with the, his disciples, and he's showing them this parable. He's teaching them this story, and the story is to show them that they should pray, they should always pray, and don't give up in that prayer, okay? That's the point. So I'm from the Iron Range, huh? I've met an Iron Ranger, some down here too, and we can figure that out, right? Uh, so this is what this parable is about. It is about prayer and what, what that is. Now, with that said, <clears throat> and you have to, what is prayer? <laughs> I mean, let's just, what, what exactly is prayer? And I, I love this quote. I added a little bit. My, the brackets are me, so just hang with me. But I like this. This is prayers communicating with your heavenly father. Prayers, the practices of the presence of God. It is the place where pride is abandoned, hope is lifted, and supplication or asking is made. Prayers, the place of admitting our need, of adopting humility, and claiming dependence upon God. Prayer is the needful practice of the Christian. Prayer is the exercise of faith and hope. Prayer is the privilege of touching the heart of the Father through the Son of God, Jesus our Lord, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to be looking at today is, is what is prayer and how exactly do, do we you know, always pray and not give up? Now, 
I remember I became a follower of Jesus in college, and I remember shortly thereafter uh, hearing this line. I think it's a great line. It says, if you ever want to humble someone, just ask them, how is your prayer life? Because right? everybody's like, uh, oh, man, I pray too much. I pray way too much. You know, I pray way more than you, I'm sure. So, you know, but it's just you want to humble somebody, you just ask them, how is your prayer life? Because I think we look at that and we ask ourselves, well, what's the percentage of my day do I pray or all these different things? And th- th- there's certain elements of that that I think are an okay question, but it's actually, the question is flipped upside down. And Jesus, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of spoil the whole thing here, but I'm gonna give you the point right up front. Jesus wants you to not focus on you in prayer. He wants you to focus on who God is in prayer. He wa- the, the object of my prayer is way more important than how much I'm banking, like, oh, I don't pray enough, oh, all this. Okay, that's maybe a bit of a help for, to motivate me, but it's much more is, is God really the one that I'm looking to? That's way more important. For instance, it's like asking yourself, what's your bank account like? When in fact, this maybe won't work with you because this is a defunct game, but uh, there was a game based on the Monopoly character. Uh, the, the, guy, the guy who's like Mr. Monopoly now, that's what everybody calls him since, I didn't realize this, I had to look it up, but 1999 is when he got named Mr. Monopoly. Before that, his name was, and I quote, because I have to look at it, Milton Pennybags. Milton Pennybags was the guy uh, but at first, it was Rich Uncle, Milton Pennybags, and there was a game called Rich Uncle for a very short period of time. Uh, I think, it's so hard to read them, but I think it's 1939, something like that, uh, was this game, the stock market game. Didn't make a big deal. It was offshoots of Monopoly, that kind of thing. But the idea here is this. If you had a rich uncle, if your uncle was Bill Gates, and you knew that you were significantly in the will, and you knew that they weren't in good health right now, you would not care what's your bank account, right? And that's what Jesus is trying to get at here. It's not how much do you pray, it's who are you actually praying to? What's the object of your prayer? That's, that's where he's gonna go in this parable, just kinda to show it. Now, with that said, let's take a look at the actual parable. Jesus is gonna tell a story. It's a, a very short story, and it's, it's really quite clear, all right? So he says, here's the deal. In a certain town, not naming the town, so at some town, there was a judge. And he gives two characteristics about the judge, right? So he's gonna be a guy who's gonna be in charge of deciding cases, and there's two characteristics about him. He doesn't fear God, and he doesn't care what people think, okay? In other words, you could say it this way, he doesn't fear God, he doesn't fear people. In other words, he doesn't care about anybody but himself. He is into this he doesn't care about right or wrong. He doesn't care anything like that. He just, this is this judge, okay? And you're thinking, what, what's your point here, Jesus? Why would you, Jesus, let's just make the assumption, fairly good assumption, that Jesus knows what he's talking about, okay? So he's bringing this up for a reason. He's going to show you something, but he wants you to see this particular case where this judge doesn't fear God, doesn't fear people, doesn't care what people think, okay? That's the judge. Second person in the story is a widow. There was a widow in that town who kept coming to him. Now, that's, you could, why don't you say there's a person who came? Well, there's a reason why in that culture you would have a widow 
And let me quote here from, um, uh, let me quote here from uh, Kenneth Bailey. He says, the widow in the Old Testament is a typical symbol of the innocent, powerless, oppressed. Okay, it's very important. So if you, when you're talking about a widow, uh, and she was, she was also short because she was a widow widow. Sorry, I, that's terrible. That's, that's just awful. No, no longer your favorite part of the summer. Right there, just gone. Right there, yeah. Sorry. Anyway, so innocent, powerless, and oppressed. And that's a picture in the Old Testament of like saying that people who are, are you're, you're in culture, you don't have any real political clout. You are kind of looked over. In fact, you were, it's common to take advantage of them, all right? Isaiah 117 uh, calls on the rulers and the people to plead for the widow. And then in verse 23 of Isaiah chapter one, it says, we're told everyone loves a bribe and the widow's cause does not come to them. The Jewish legal tradition required that on the basis of Isaiah 117, the suit of an orphan must always be heard first, next, that of a widow. Thus, the widow had legal rights that were being violated. Alexander Bruce writes of her, too weak to compel, too poor to buy justice. Okay, so she's economically struggling. She doesn't have any political clout. She doesn't have a whole lot going for her at all. The community's not going to stand up for her. And so uh, he also observes a widow was one who was pretty sure to have plenty of adversaries if she had anything to devour. If she was left in the inheritance, people are going to try to take it from her. The issue is clearly money. So there's, in, in this uh, particular case, there's money involved. And the reason for that is, is because a, uh, a qualified scholar or one judge alone could decide that case. All right, so what we know here is there's a widow, means they're powerless. They don't have any strength, any political strength, any community strength. They're not wealthy enough to really buy the judge or bribe or whatever, nothing like that. They come to the judge, and the case is simply this. Here's the case. Grant me justice against my adversary. That's it. That's all we know, right? Again, Jesus doesn't want you to get caught up in details because this case doesn't exist. It only exists in the mind of Jesus. So it's not a, wait, I want to know the details. There are no details. He's making this up, okay? So he says, grant me justice against my adversary. That's the sum total of what we know of what's happening. That's it. That's all you get. Now, how, how does the case work out? If you look at verses four to five, uh, verses four and five, which is the end of the story, end of the parable, Jesus is gonna tell you how it works out, okay? First thing, the first judgment that the, the judge gives is, I don't want to talk to you, right? It says, for some time he refused. So this period of time goes by, and it says that the widow keeps coming to him and give me justice against my adversary. And he's like, I don't want to hear this case. Get away. Keeps doing it constantly, right? So his first judgment is, I don't want to be bothered by this case. I don't want to uh, even think about this. And so I want you just to go home because there's nothing, there's not, uh, I'm not even going to hear it, all right? And there's no strength. No one's coming to my door except for you uh, saying, you got to hear about this you got to hear about this widow's case. She's getting, she's getting completely robbed, right? Her response to that is the only thing that she can do is she just keeps coming. Every Monday morning, there's the widow again. She's sitting there again. 
scratching his head. Oh my gosh, there she is again. Maybe it's every day. I don't know, but he keeps coming over and over and over, right? Okay, judgment number two. Finally said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps coming to me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. All right, all right. You can have it, right? You can have it your way. I am, I am done looking at this. So he just gets fed up with it. That's what the judge is. Now, look what the widow gets. I will give her justice. Now that's an interesting, that's an interesting phrase. Kind of caught me. Because normally when you're fed up with someone, it's all right, all right, have it your way. I'll give you whatever you want. That's not what he says. He knows what justice is. He's denied her justice. But now he's going to say, all right, I'll give you justice. I will let justice happen. And there's two reasons why. There's two reasons why he's going to give her justice. The first reason is she is wearing me out. She keeps bothering me. Now, he doesn't fear her. He doesn't care what she thinks. She's wearing me out. She keeps bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up, right? That's the first reason. Just think about that. You got this, this uh, in this case, a widow. So you get the impression maybe it's, a, it's, a, it's an elderly person and they just won't shut up. They just won't give it up, right? Uh, I don't remember how long ago the movie Nacho Libre came out. Uh, that is one of the Trichler love languages is Nacho Libre. We have so many memorized lines from that movie and the movie What About Bob. Those are two very old movies, but that's kind of the way our family talks to each other. You have you talk in Nacho Libre or, or What About Bob quotes. And one, one of the favorite quotes we have from Nacho Libre is when Nacho Libre is taking all the kids on a little tour of downtown of the downtown city that they live in. And he's just showing them all, this is where I get the bread and this is where I get the meat. And then there's this, <laughs> this lady yelling. And he says, and that is a crazy lady, right? So, which is one of my very favorite things my boys used to say <laughs> to Carol whenever she'd say, boys, you got to hurry up and go to school. And there is a crazy lady, they would say to her. And that's what this guy's saying. He's saying, there is a crazy lady. This is a crazy lady. I am tired of her. Second thing, though, the second reason why says so that eventually, so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Now, it's very, it's very interesting. So it's one of those, anybody can do this. You can just double click on some of the words there and see what the original word and actually literally would say so that she won't eventually come and give me a black eye is what it literally means. Now, you're thinking about that and going, how's a little old lady going to give a black eye to a guy? One of, the, one of the commentaries I read said he, the judge was fearing that she would handbag her. You know what I mean by the phrase handbag? That became famous in 1985, the phrase handbag someone because of what happened in Sweden. This picture right here is very famous. So in 1985, there was a march in, I can't remember which city in Sweden, but there was a picture taken of neo-Nazis uh, going around and this woman, and no one knows her name, she's just Googled out as the lady with the handbag. In fact, people were so motivated by her that they, <laughs> that they made two statues of her. 
You can see, you can see them online. The lady, and it's not a picture of anybody but her swinging this handbag. Handbag just kind of goes over, over there into, into nowhere. It doesn't hit anybody. But the Swedish government was like, I understand, no, we're voting, we do vote no to, to neo-Nazism, and at the same time, we do really want to promote violence. And so they said, no, you can't, these statues can't go on public property, right? So then in protest, just about every single statue that's out there, people put handbags over the arms of different things or whatever to just say, hey, wait a minute. And they did put them up in a couple private places. But this, this is what this judge is fearing, is this lady that is going to handbag her. Okay? Folks, that's the parable. That's the story. It's like, what? Okay, now Jesus is going to tell you about what the story means. He says, and the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. <laughs> now, sometimes I hope there's somebody here who's your first time ever through this parable. First time, it's like, why would I do that? This guy doesn't fear God, doesn't care what people think. What, wait, what? He's the point of the story? Yes, it is. It's like, wait, wait a minute, what? And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to make some equations here. All right? So let's just look at what this parable then is going to have. It's going to be allegorical. In other words, it's going to be like, here's what this means for us, right? And he's going to make it relatively clear. So the first thing he's going to say is that God, God, <laughs> the object of your prayers is the unjust judge in this story. And you're like, wait a minute. So I have to even put in there. But not like the unjust judge, okay? Jesus is going to make a big deal about that. But in the story, God is that. In, in, but Jesus is going to make, if that's the case for this unjust judge, what would it be like for the just judge, the one who's great? But he, Jesus uses this story to make a point, right? Let me go to the third one here. Um, we are the widow. We are the widow in the story. So if you look at how this all works out, we are the widow, we are uh, needy, we have, we're crying out for something. And in the story, we're crying for justice. Now, that's where it gets interesting. That's where it gets really interesting. If you just stop and think about it, back off, um, um, because uh, everybody on planet Earth thinks that they want justice. And we do want justice. There are evils in the world. There's social injustice. We want to see justice happen. But if true justice happened, if God came and said, I'm going to right now right every wrong, how many of us would you know, be unjudged at that time? We'd all be in trouble, right? And so the story where it gets interesting is that if we're crying out for justice, uh, we're not just, right? And so this is the point where Christ makes it very clear. And we'll see this by the time we unpack, as long as Jesus unpacks this, that Jesus is the one that takes us who are poor and needy and makes us just because of what he does on the cross. When Christ died, he paid for our sin. He took that sin upon him. And so he, in fact, is the one that is like the widow as well, and stands before and give, Father, give me justice as I paid already for their sins, all right? So, so this, now us being the widow, I know I use two different things there with the widow, but, but you, you have this idea that the widow actually is now made just. Otherwise, we're in big trouble. Where, where I get this from is, some of you might have your Bibles open. If you look at the very next thing Jesus, that comes out of Jesus' mouth, it says, 
It's this parable, he says, to those who looked at themselves as righteous on their own, Jesus told a parable. And the parable was two people go up to pray. A, a, a tax collector, worst person you could possibly pick in that culture, and a Pharisee, best person you could pick in that story. And Jesus does what Jesus always does. He flips it. He makes the tax collector the hero and the, the uh, Pharisee the, 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 the anti-hero. Because the Pharisee says, wow, I'm sure glad I'm not like that guy. And the tax collector says, I'm a sinner. And he, what he doesn't ask for is justice on himself. If you remember the parable, he asks for mercy because he gets it. The Pharisee says, God, give me justice because I'm so much better than him. Give me what I deserve. You don't want to pray that prayer, okay? Don't pray that prayer. That's a, no, 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 no. Give me what I don't deserve in Christ. That's how Jesus is completely in this whole parable. Now, watch how Jesus unpacks it. He asks two questions, two what I call BQs, big questions, two big questions about what is, how is this story, which really seems bizarre, to explain to them why to pray and not give up, right? And Jesus is going to say, listen to this unjust judge. What? Why would I listen to the unjust judge? because it's going to teach you about who your heavenly father is so that you then are motivated to pray, so that you can trust in him. And here's the two questions. Number one, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? And two, second question is, will he keep putting them off? They're going to come every day. Is he going to roll his eyes and say, oh, quit bothering me. Are you going to handbag me? Is that what's going to happen? Okay, no. What's going to house God? If this is how an unjust judge does things, he just doesn't want to be bothered anymore, just think about your heavenly father who's not unjust at all. He's not unjust at all. He's completely just. He's everything. Will he keep rolling his eyes at you and saying, get out of my presence? And the answer to both of those is, wait, no to the first one, wait. Yes to the first one, no to the second one. Anyway, so yes, I will see that they get justice. And secondly, and quickly. So both those words need to be thought about a little bit. Because if we're saying you're going to get justice, again, I need mercy, but I get justice because of the cross of Jesus, right? Spoiler alert, I think it's next week, or no, I guess uh, Columbia Heights is going to go long, but soon we're going to get back to Romans. In the book of Romans, if you remember, just when we ended uh, last season, previously on Romans, we, we talked about uh, in verses 19 and 20 that no one will be declared righteous in God's sight. No one. So in other words, on this day of judgment, on your own, no one will be declared righteous. But rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. It points us and says we're sinners. And then come verses 21 to 26, which talk about what Christ did and how he accomplished that and how righteousness and justice is given as a gift, right? Uh, spoiler alert, Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? And if you go further into the New Testament, in 1 John, and I love this phrase, it's, it's 1 John 5, no, excuse me, uh, 1 John uh, I wrote it down. First, why can't I think of it? First uh, John, my navigator days are, are betraying me here. First John, uh, 
I wrote down the wrong verse. Uh, it's, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Help me out. Talk, talk to me. Thank you for showing one night. So if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Now just stop and think about this for one second. It says, if you confess your sin, God, I admit, I did this. And it says, he is faithful and just. So if you go to a judge and say, I committed this crime, justice demands that you go to prison. But that's not what the passage says. It says, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Wait, that's not justice, that's mercy. He's faithful and merciful. No, it doesn't say that. It says he's faithful and just. Why? Because Christ paid that penalty already. It'd be double jeopardy if we had to face it again. So justice will be served. So you got to do justice on God's economy. And you also got to do the word quickly on God's economy. Okay? God, and to quote the great urban preachers of all time, God is never late, but seldom early. Right? So he, he's on his time, 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 timeline, but as seldom is ours exactly. That's why Jesus gives a parable saying, keep praying, don't give up. God is there. He is, he will answer. All right? And then Jesus closes this teaching by saying, when the Son of Man comes, will he find, will he find um, faith on the earth? Okay? Or you could literally translate this, when the Son of Man comes, will he find the faithful or the faith on the earth? In other words, what I just talked about, will that happen? I like what um, this old Lutheran uh, 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 theologian says. He says, the question is, will that faith be there to greet the Son of Man at his coming? Some think that the answer must be no, that no is in Jesus' mind. In fact, that all faith is ne uh, uh, negatived as far as the end is concerned, this view misunderstands the object of the question, which is not to raise speculation about what will occur at the end, but it is to stimulate us all to keep on crying as the elect until the Son of Man appears. Will there be, faith? Will there be this faith to welcome me when I come? Jesus leaves this answer to us and to all the elect that follow us. Okay, so the idea is here. He's teaching a parable, and he's teaching about coming to him, and he's teaching about all of life, for sure, it, but he's really talking about one thing, his return. He's talking about bringing this ultimate time when the, when the end will come, justice will happen. And he's saying, as we seek that, and it's gonna come quickly. Well, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem quickly. It's been 2,000 years, and it will come. It will come. He's saying, as you, as you go on, this will happen on God's economy. That's what he's, that's, that's the teaching there. Okay, so, with that said, I want to just use some other scripture to just highlight to you, because the point of the parable is to teach them to always pray and not give up, right? And I want to talk about what I, the six fundamental beliefs for meaningful prayer. There's probably 30, but we only got time for six, and that's as far as I could count, you know? So that's it. Six, I want to show six things that are very important to make your life, make your walk with God, make, move forward with meaningful prayer. And the first one is by far the most important. Hebrews 11.6. There's a lot of verses I could have used, but I chose this one because I'm going to use the second part of it for the, for the second point. And without faith, it is impossible to please God 
because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and I'll read it so it makes sense, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So there's something about seeking God and that he answers, right? But the first point is here is that when you come to him, you must believe that he, not, not just an intellectual assent, like I believe there's a God. Okay, okay, sure, sure, sure. But it's more than that. It's way more than that. There, there's something here that says, I, I'm placing my trust, I, by the act of prayer, um, it shows that I honestly believe things about you such that I think you're the one I should go to, right? If you're hungry, you go to a restaurant, right? You, you don't go, you, you go there because that's where you need to go because you believe the restaurant will satisfy you. This is the most important thing in this whole parable. The most important parable is that you see the beauty of God. You see God as absolutely, stunningly beautiful. He's your capital SOB. He's your standard of beauty. He's the one you look to. He, you delight in him. There's a sense in which he's just so wonderful. He's your creator. He's your sustainer. He's, the, he's full of holiness and righteousness. He's always right. You, wh- whatever your view of God is, it is way too small. God is just that majestic and awesome, right? And it's actually one of the things that helps me in, in marriage as I look at Carol that way. I think that that's what God wants to say. I want, that's just a tiny drop in the bucket of who I am and how you should delight in me. That's the most important thing of prayer. That's the most important thing of prayer is the object of your prayer, and it's God Almighty. Second thing is that God actually invites us to this table. He invites us to sit down with him and to converse with him. And he responds to that. We have an invitation here to to talk into the almighty God. Third thing. Third thing is that uh, God is powerful enough to actually do things. Uh, this is, again, I could have picked a bunch of different verses. And in Genesis 15, uh, Abraham doesn't have any kids yet, and he knows that God is the one, and he just says, Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. He, that's how he addresses God. God is completely sovereign. He's completely powerful. He can do all things. Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? So I don't have children yet, God. You've promised me an inheritance like that, and I don't have any kids. But he, he starts that off by saying, Sovereign Lord, which shows that he believes that God is ultimately powerful. Along with that, um, you have to believe that God deeply, deeply cares and loves for you. First Peter 5, 7, one of my very favorite verses, says, humble, or 6 and 7 says, humble yourselves, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The, the motivation, how I can take things and cast them upon the Lord and anxiety. And it's so weird because we think in our you know, 21st century that we're, this is the first time in ever in human history we've had anxiety problems. Uh, this goes way back here, man, that they had anxiety problems big time. You know, we think of our crazy government, think of being under Roman rule. I mean, it was not... <laughs> The kosher, you know, whatever. Talk about fake news. It was just, well, whatever. And you, it was crazy time to be alive. And Paul just, or Peter here, excuse me, is saying, 
cast that like a, like a big old daredevil or cast it out there. Give it to God. Let him have it. Why? Because you know that he deeply cares for you, that the almighty, holy, awesome, powerful God who can do things actually loves you, cares for you, wants to converse with you, has this desire to take care of your anxiety. Fifth thing is that you have to believe ultimately that God is, full, is completely good. Jesus is speaking another parable in, in uh, the book of Luke, one we didn't cover. But he says, if you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. So he's this story about if your child asks you for something, would you give them a scorpion or would you give them a snake? Of course not. You'd give your children good things. Well, if that's you and, and, and we are fallen people, if that's true, we're the evil, we know how to give good gifts. How much more then, same thing, unjust judge, if the unjust judge does this, how much more will the just judge? do, right? Uh, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I, I think sometimes if you want to boil it down to two things, it goes down to that table prayer when you're little kids. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for the fud. Doesn't rhyme. But the, you know, the, those two things, right? God is great. He's actually powerful enough to do these things. And God is actually good. There's no evil in him. God doesn't delight in suffering or any, no, no. And I fight that fight every single day to, to actually believe those two things, that God, you are great enough in these things, and God, you are actually all good, no evil, not a drop. He's both those things. And then lastly, sixth thing is that I need help, that I need help. The Apostle Paul, when he went through a, a difficulty in his own life, uh, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn of my flesh or messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me. He never tells us what this thorn is. He never tells us anything about it. And the, the idea of three times could mean three different times. It's possible that meant continually. I plead with the Lord to take it from me, but God answers him. He says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, the answer is, no, I'm not gonna take this because I'm, I'm leaving that there for you, Paul, because I care about you. And I'm knowing that this is gonna do a work in your life to make you who you actually are praying that you wanna be, and this is the thing that's gonna help you to get there. And I'm, I'm, I'm good, and I'm in control, but the answer is no, right? But what it is is saying, that's the source I go to I need help. I'm, I'm the widow here. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the one that needs help. So with this, we'll get an opportunity right now to, 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 uh, to practice this. We're going to close the service with some songs. And I got some questions there for you to think about. And then how's your prayer life is not meant to be that shaming question. It's just meant to say, yeah, what does that look like? Do you have a view of God where you delight in him? That you see him as someone you would want to go to, that it's not a burden and a chore, it's, a, it's an opportunity. Uh, do you see the cross as fully sufficient to make us just and his chosen ones? He's the one who does that. And do I see myself as needy? And I don't know what everybody brings into the room this morning. I don't know uh, uh, everyone in the room, but, but I, I know this, every one of us is needy. 
And everyone can come to God, and God desires to take that anxiety. For some of you, it might be the first time this morning you want to say yes to Jesus Christ and cross that line of faith and say, Lord, I want you to be my sin bearer and to take, take that away. So we just encourage you, if that's where you're at, do that. Now, what's going to happen is they'll play some, the band will come up. I can invite the band up if you're ready to come back up. And during that time, uh, you can use those, those songs right where you're at as prayers. You can pray the songs. I love doing that as a, as a way of responding at the end uh, of a service. And so use the songs as a way to pray, pray right where you're at. We're also going to take communion. So if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, we invite you to go. Uh, the, we have to have it out in the hallway just due to the school rules. But the, the, they'll be out there. It's all gluten-free and it's just rice cakes and, and, and grape juice. And so you can go out there and there's two different stations. And you can get received communion outside. In addition, there'll be people on the back of the, right by the exit signs or so, who would love to pray for you. Uh, you can also give it this time. You can, there's a box, I believe Drew said it's over that way, or you can do it online. You can do all these things in response uh, to this message right here and right now. So let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you that you are not an unjust judge, I want to thank you that you're someone that we can come to and we come needy and poor and yet you don't look at us for our status. You look at us in our status in Christ and because of that, we're honored. We're, we're honored children. We're heirs. And so, Father, I just thank you for that. I pray that, that you would work in our hearts, work in my heart, God, so that I delight in you more that I delight in conversing with you more. God, that I would delight in seeing my problems as opportunities to come in prayer and not just things to mull over and keep me awake at night, but just something to pour out and to let you have them. I pray that for every single person in this room, that we would see this as an opportunity to pray and not give up. So Lord God, just do that. Make us that kind of people. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. If you are able, please stand and worship with us.